Uh, we've already had Christmas at our house in many ways. Uh, we had part of our Christmas yesterday up in Waco when our son Michael received his Ph.D. in religion. It is a delivery. It is an accomplishment. And uh, I was proud of him. It's a long, hard, arduous task, and many of you in this room have had a very significant part in his life. Sunday school teachers, counselors, sponsors, just terrific. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for him and for Charlotte. I'll tell you one thing. Those of you who've done that kind of work know that the work of the wife is just as difficult, just as demanding, and just as sacrificial. So it's a great accomplishment for them. Why did he do it? He did it for love, really. There's the theme of chorus line. What I do, I do for love. A love for God and a love for the call that God uh, gave to him. I, I'm grateful to the Lord for his faithfulness to that. Um, also, on Tuesday of this week, we had Christmas. Steve and Debbie had a little girl, Megan Noel Fanning, seven pounds, seven ounces. Christmas at our house. It was marvelous, beautiful little girl. The product, again, of love. A man for a woman, a woman for a man, and the product was love. A baby. I was walking up and down the corridors of the hospital, waiting for that little baby to arrive. And when she did, I thought, that's the miracle. The miracle is the baby. If a whole bunch of angels came in here singing, that would be wonderful, but that wouldn't make it a greater miracle. If a bunch of wise men and shepherds suddenly walked up and down these corridors, it would have enhanced the event, but it would not have made it a greater miracle. They were really extras. The angels, the wise men, the shepherds. They were extras in this great drama of redemption. In that sense, they were extraneous. The miracle is the baby. Love incarnate in the carnal. Love embodied. Love in a body. Because love must express itself. It is the nature of love to express itself. And when it does, it does it incarnationally. It does it by embodying itself. Therefore, the love that God expressed in the birth of his son was personal. God came in person. Jesus is not like God. God is like Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Personal. Love doesn't float around out there as some disembodied spirit. 
Love doesn't float around out there as a phantom. It gets into a person. It becomes a part of a warp and woof of their life. It consumes their brain and their blood and their body. It's personal. And the baby is the miracle. And the miracle is he stayed. We sang about it in that hymn we sang earlier, and the reason I wanted us to sing it is because so many of us stopped with Bethlehem. He didn't. Wise men left. Shepherds left. The angels left. God stayed. Jesus became flesh. The Word became flesh. John tells us in the 14th verse of the first chapter of the Gospel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Don't bury the babe at Bethlehem. Don't put him in a box to be brought out again next Christmas. Because the message doesn't stop there. In many ways, it only begins there. We see the gift of love, but we do not know how love acts, how love relates, how love lives until Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The reason Lloyd Douglas wrote The Robe was in response to what he felt was an inadequacy in the Apostles' Creed. Now, we in the Baptist Church do not often read the Apostles' Creed. Some of you may be more familiar with it than others. It's uh, number 716 in, in this hymnal, if you would like to look at it and read it sometime. Let me read you just the first paragraph. This creed goes back to about the 8th century. Some say it has roots even further back than that, all the way back to maybe the 3rd century. It was an attempt to uh, put into a statement of faith what the early Christians believed. And so this was the earliest, the first, not the only. There were other creeds as well. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, comma, born of the Virgin Mary, comma, suffered under, under Pontius Pilate, comma, was crucified, dead, and buried. And the reason Lloyd Douglas wrote the robe was because he said, I believe the life of Jesus deserves more than a comma. More than a comma. Born of the Virgin Mary, comma. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, Jesus is more than a comma. He came to personally embody the love of God on this earth. How does God love? How does God, God relate? How does God react to people and to problems and to circumstances? What's God like in the humdrum, everyday, mundane, sandal-wearing, dust-covered world in which we live? How does God live, and how does God move, and what kind of person is God? Look at Jesus. 
Look at Jesus. Listen to what he says. Listen to how he responds to others. Don't just stay in, the Beth- in Bethlehem with the crying of a little infant as inspiring and beautiful as that is. Listen to him speak words that cut to the heart and change the life and stir the mind and make the blood of hope run faster in our veins. An interesting thing happened recently at Rice University in a graduate class of philosophy. True story. The professor announced that tomorrow I'll bring a number of blue books because we're going to have a test. So they came, and in this class of philosophy, the professor said there's one question. What is courage? They started writing. One man sat there for a few moments, wrote two words in the blue book, got up, walked up and handed it to the professor, and walked out. Two words. Others wrote for two hours. What is courage? The professor was grading the papers, and he telephoned the man, the young man who had turned in the blue book with just two words in answer to that question, what is courage? And he said, you get an A+, plus, but come in, I want to get to know you better. The young man came in. You're already trying to think, as I was when I heard this story, what, what are the two words that he wrote down there in answer to the question, what is courage? He wrote, this is. <laughs> this is. Do you see what he did? Powerful. He didn't define it. He demonstrated it. He didn't give us a a definition. He gave him a demonstration. His graduate work was dependent upon those two words. This is. What is truth? I am. What is life? I am. What is the way? I am. I am. The great I am is the fulfillment and the personification and the incarnation of God who came to show us, not just give us definitions, Legalism, Judaism, religion, philosophy is full of definitions. He came to give us a demonstration. This is. I am. Life. And he changes life. Love always changes life. 
Real love always changes life. I remember when I was in the sixth grade in William Lipscomb Elementary School in Dallas. And normally I'd get up as late as possible in the morning. My father, Charlie Fanning, would get my brother and me out of bed and, you know, reluctantly we would go and half comb our hair and wash our face. And mother said, come on, you've got to eat something. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. My mother's, how many of your mothers said the same thing to you? How many of you said the same thing to your children? How many of you do that? <laughs> okay. okay. I stopped preaching and started meddling. Um, I'd get out and lazily go off to school. But one day, we had a new student who had transferred into William Lipscomb. When I saw her, I want you to know that was the most beautiful 10-year-old woman I've ever laid my eyes on. <laughs> I was struck. The next morning, my dad didn't have to call me but once, and I was out of bed. I was in there. I got out my best clothes, my slick bottom shoes that I normally save for, sun, for Sunday school and church, no tennis shoes, put on a clean shirt, Combed my hair. I put enough Brill cream on there. You couldn't have held me if you wanted to. I'd have slipped right out of your hand. And I went off to school. And my whole life for those, for that, that day, my whole life was to make an impression upon that girl. She changed everything about my life. And that began, that began a love affair that lasted for Oh, a couple of weeks. <laughs> but during those two weeks, I was a different person. I was a different person. We say, oh, but now that was just a case of puppy love. That's right. But puppy love is real to the puppy, and it was real to me. I felt, wow, wonderful. My life was changed. Now, I know that's a shallow, silly little example, but look at it at the human level. Doesn't love change your life? Surely it does. The other day, Lisa was talking about Michael, and she said, Harry was living over, Harriet and her girlfriend were living in a little house over there in Alamo Heights, and Lisa said, I knew that Mike was in love with Harriet when he started mowing her lawn every Saturday. I couldn't get him, law couldn't get him to mow the lawn, threats couldn't get him to mow the lawn, judgment couldn't get him to mow the lawn, but love got him to mow the lawn. <laughs> Changed his life, been changing it ever since, wonderfully. The other day I had the delightful responsibility to take care of Avery for a few hours, our three-year-old, three-year-old, plus a couple of months. And so she and I were together at our house. I tell you, isn't that fun? That is the most marvelous experience in the world for a grandparent. And so we were doing all sorts of things. And then she wanted to watch The Beauty and the Beast. I said, good, Avery. So we put, put it in the television, in the player. And I got out a book. I thought, well, this is a kid's thing. But I got to watching Beauty and the Beast. Have you seen The Beauty and the Beast? That's fantastic. That's no kid's story. 
That's a life story. That's a love story. I was captivated with that. She came to see beauty in the beast. And he was changed. It's another powerful artistic expression of what is called the Pygmalion effect. Pygmalion was a character in Greek and Roman mythology who believed so much in the beauty of the statue he had carved. He believed in it so much that the statue came to life. That's the Pygmalion effect. Out of mythology. This character who believed in that lifeless statue so much and believed in the beauty of it so much that it became real. It came alive. George Bernard Shaw picked up on that and wrote a play called Pygmalion. That play became a movie. What movie? My Fair Lady. The power of love to change a life. My Fair Lady was the result. The Pygmalion effect is potential right here in this room right now. You may feel lifeless. You may feel discouraged. You may feel unloved and unlovable. But Jesus Christ has come to work that magical, marvelous power upon your heart and your life. He will love you into life. He will love you into beauty. He sees things in you you do not see in yourself. He sees potential in you you've never seen in yourself, capacities in you that you have never known. And he will impart that power to you. And you can walk out of here today, not because of anything I say, or anything specific that happens in this place other than the presence of the love of Jesus Christ for you. It's personal. It's powerful. And it's permanent. It never fades. Not like my grade school love affair. It lacks. It lacks. Love lacks. For though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Though I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Love suffereth long, is patient. Love is kind. Love vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. 
does not behave itself unkindly, seeketh not its own, is not provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, love never faileth. Listen to that. Love never faileth. Whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. All will fail. Only love lasts. And it lasts forever. Justinian go to great church and then Constantinople in about the 6th century and in that church was painted a magnificent mural of Christ seated upon the throne of heaven and earth. Years later that church was turned into a Mohammedan mosque and they whitewashed that wall. The years went by the whitewash that was placed there began to thin out and the magnificent painting on the wall began to seep through. Faintly discernible at first and then very apparent Christ coming through as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For someday, someday, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever and forever and forever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. It lasts. What started at Bethlehem didn't stop there. It will never stop, for love never fails. Won't fail you? Will not let you down, but lift you up? Not reject you, but accept you? not blame you but forgive you love never fails celebrate him this year this season this week celebrate him and love him for love never fails